Happy New Year. Good to see a lot of you guys here. Welcome to Alathia Church. Um, if this is your first time with us uh, this morning, welcome. We're glad to have you here. Uh, this is actually our first Sunday at this location. And so uh, we're excited for this season of being able to worship uh, Jesus together here at the Rock School. If I could get you guys just to do something for me, so humor me here for a second. Will you guys give the band just a round of applause? And, and here's why. We got a lot of people with COVID right now. And so um, they kind of got thrown into the fire last second to throw things together. And so I thought they did a great job. So band, thank you guys, really. Um, you guys were wonderful this morning. Thank you for that. Um, and so it's kind of fun starting a new season for the church. If you guys don't know anything about us, the church will celebrate its ninth birth, birthday in March. And it's kind of fun to start a new season uh, of the church um, on uh, the first Sunday of the new year. And so it's kind of like new, you know, I, one of the things I love about New Year's every year, you hear people like, it's going to be different this year. It's going to be great. And of course, with COVID, who knows if that's ever going to be the case ever again. But, you know, it's always really kind of easy to say, hey, I'm going to hit a reset button starting January 1st. So many of us do that. And, and so it's kind of fun just as a, as a church to be able to say, hey, we're moving into the next season of who God is calling us to be, to be a church for uh, the city of Gainesville and the campuses inside of that city. And so one of the things I just want to remind us is, is our mission here at Aletheia Church is to lead people to become growing followers of Jesus Christ. That is our heart's desire for every single person, not just people that would call Aletheia their church home, but anyone in the city of Gainesville and beyond. And we really think that God is going to use this space to kind of allow us to continue that mission as he's been faithful to us over the last nine years. And so to help us kind of kickstart 2022, maybe in the, in the right direction, one of the things I wanted us to do as a church was to start this year off together um, with a focus on prayer and focusing on what Jesus has to say about prayer. Inevitably, if you ask anyone who has been a Christian for any length of time, and start questioning them about prayer, what it is, what they think about it, you're going to get a ton of responses when you ask somebody about that. You'll, you'll hear things like, well, I know prayer is important. You know, I think any, anyone who's been a Christian for any length of time will say, yeah, prayer is important. I know I need to do it. Uh, that, that, that's what I'm going to focus on. You'll hear other people say it's hard. I don't know what to do. A lot of the times, you know, I fall into this trap. I remember after being a new believer, someone asked me to pray, and I was like, what do I do? I just, I just had no idea what that even was. Um, and then I've gotten this question, and maybe you guys have even thought about this at times in your life. If we believe that God is sovereign and in control, then why pray in the first place? Right? If God is, is running everything and in charge of everything and he knows what's going to happen, where, why would we pray in the first place? And so... Hopefully this morning, what will happen is we'll start thinking through some of the things that Jesus has to say about prayer, why it's important. And then I'm going to actually lead us through the Lord's Prayer there in Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to, we're going to work through that prayer that Jesus shares there in Matthew chapter 6 as a model for how we can pray and maybe develop some habits in our own prayer life that will lead to a greater 
love for Christ, a deepening relationship with him. And really what I, what I believe to be true is if we grow in the area of prayer as a church, we will experience God's faithfulness in a deeper, more profound, and more meaningful way. And through that, we'll see his faithfulness grow and we'll see a greater worship of him, both in our own hearts, but also in those around us, because we will have experienced God's presence through that. So I want to start off by answering just this simple question. What is prayer? Uh, a good friend of mine by the name of Ted Sin, he worked for a guy that some of you guys probably have heard of before. Uh, his name's Tim Keller. He helped develop some of their city-to-city stuff and their church planning stuff. He defines prayer as an increasing awareness of and communication with the Lord. That prayer is designed both to have us talking to God, but also to increase our awareness of Him and His presence in our lives. And Jesus Himself made it clear that there should be an emphasis on prayer. And I want to take us to two separate sections in Scripture where that's made clear. The first one is in Mark chapter 11. And, and, you know, this is one of those times where I just love Jesus because when he gets mad, he makes it abundantly clear that he's angry and he shares it with people. But look at what he does in Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. So if you know anything about the temple, there was a couple of different sections that were set up. And in this outer court, there was actually commerce going on outside of this section. This was supposed to be a section where only the Gentiles were allowed to come in and still worship God. Because if you were a Gentile, you were not allowed to actually enter the temple proper itself and worship God there. And so what had happened, though, is... The, the people running the temple had saw this as a money-making opportunity. You know, hey, buy your pigeons or buy, buy your doves or whatever you may use as a sacrifice here. And so they were actually doing trading and marketing and commerce right there in the outside square of the temple building. And this irritated Jesus, right? And here's why. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer? For all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Right? See, what Jesus is saying here is like, hey, what's supposed to be going on here is talking to the Lord and worship. It's not supposed to be commerce going on here. This isn't supposed to be where we're discussing things outside of uh, the, the realm of what actually goes on and worshiping the Lord and following Him and seeking after Him. No, what is supposed to be happening here is prayer and making much of God. And we've turned it into something else. And so Jesus, you know, this is where He had overturned the tables and drove people out and threw people out. That He said, hey, this place is supposed to be a place where we are meeting with God. Furthermore, in Philippians chapter 4, Paul shares this with us when he writes the churches of Philippi. He says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Right, so see what, what Paul is saying there. He's like, look, struggle with anxiety? 
anxious about things, the unknown, not sure what the year holds, worried about what might happen in the future. Approach God in prayer and thanksgiving and see if that doesn't help meet you in some of that. And so what we see from Scripture, and not just in these two places that I've shared, but consistently in other places as well, is that God cares about us, and because God cares about us, He wants us to come and talk to Him. Which will inevitably then lead to the question, how do I pray? What does that look like? What is it supposed to be? And Jesus gives us a model for that in Matthew 6. It's called the Lord's Prayer. How many of you guys had that memorized at some point in time or still have it memorized now? Yeah, a good majority of us, right? My own church background growing up, we actually recited the Lord's Prayer every Sunday, right? And then we would sing doxology immediately afterwards. And, and what's interesting about this is that Jesus himself is saying, well, hey, we don't, you know, praying is not memorizing this prayer. Now, I'm not saying that there's something wrong with doing that, but Jesus himself is saying, hey, we're, this isn't like something that you memorize and you just do this all the, all the time and this is the exact prayer. What he actually ends up saying in Matthew 6 is that we are to pray like this. And what he's saying is, hey, this is a model of what talking to God should entail and look like. Maybe not all in one sitting, but that frequently when you are praying with God, these elements should be included in your prayer. And there are six movements inside of the Lord's Prayer that we're going to look at this morning so that we can learn to pray like Jesus and practice. So turn over to Matthew chapter 6 with me, and let's start working through this together. Starting in verse 7, he says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. All right, so the first thing that Jesus does is he's, this is, by the way, if you don't know, this is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He's preaching to a bunch of people. He's teaching on the hillside. He's uh, talking to a large congregation, but he's predominantly actually speaking to his disciples because he's teaching them and preparing them for ministry. And so as he's kind of going through this discourse, he begins to teach on prayer. And one of the first things he's going to say to them before he teaches them the, you know, maybe the ins and outs of what prayer might look like is he's going to first correct their posture in prayer that their approach to God needs to look a certain way. And what he says to them is, don't pray like the Gentiles. Why is that? Because they heap up empty phrases. So, what, what, if you know anything about pagan religions or, or what was going on maybe in, in, in Rome during this time, is that the way that the Gentiles would worship their gods is they would basically go into almost like these chants. And they would just repeat themselves over and over and over again. And in certain places, they would even like have parades on their way to the temple and they would bang gongs and they would clang cymbals together. And the thought process behind the repetition and being really loud and doing these things over and over again is if you're really loud and you repeat yourself, eventually the gods will hear you. That the gods are so far above us that we need to repeat ourselves regularly to be heard by them. And so you have to make as much noise as possible to get their attention, and you have to repeat yourselves as many times as possible. And what Jesus is saying here is, hey, you know what the Gentiles do to try to get the attention of their gods? Your God's not like that. You don't have to scream out to him. You don't have to make a bunch of noise. You don't have to yell at him. No, your God's there 
and he's ready to talk with you and listen at any time. And therefore, the heart behind prayer is not to just talk as much as possible and to make as much noise as possible or to say as many things as you possibly can, but to approach God thoughtfully, with reverence, but also, and this is a key part of communication, and I think this is one of the things that if I, if I had to say, like, hey, I hope we as Aletheia Church grow in prayer in this way, that it's okay to be in prayer but not be talking. That an important piece of prayer is silence and meditation and waiting upon the Lord. And this is exactly why Jesus points this out here in Matthew chapter 6, is that we have such a tendency to say, oh, I need to pray. And so we run to the Lord and we basically word vomit all that's on our mind. And then we say, okay, we're good. See you, God. Catch you later. Right? And we certainly can do that. But prayer can be so much more than that. It can be so much more rich and fulfilling because God is like a good dad who wants us to come to him. And I was thinking about this this past week because as, you know, as, as we wrestle with this idea and this concept of prayer, right, we might wrestle with, well, why is it important and why do we need to come thoughtfully? And, and if God really knows everything, why do we need to make our requests known to him? Because that's exactly what Jesus tells us to do there in, in verse 8. But, you know, why, why would we need to do that? And I, and I have an illustration for you that I think might, might help. So, and, and other parents are probably going to know this as well. and They're going to be able to immediately relate with me. So my youngest son, Josiah, is a little more shy and a little more reserved. And the, the way that he kind of tends to operate is when he wants something, he won't verbalize it. You know, even as he's gotten older, he tends to not do that. He'll point or, you know, he's, he's, he's very concerned that we might say no. And he hates being told no, like most human beings. And so because he's concerned about being told no, he'll he'll whisper like that. And, you know, what's funny is, is as his dad, about 99% of the time, I know what he wants long before he ever asks. It's chocolate, dessert, right? Some sort of juice or, or whatever it may be. I know what he wants long before. But part of my job as his dad is to teach him how to communicate and to teach him how to talk and to teach him how to ask for help, and to teach him how to, to go to people. And one of the things that, that Jesus is trying to share with us here as he kind of opens up with just the posture and the heart towards prayer is just because God knows what you need ahead of time doesn't mean he doesn't want you to ask him. A good dad wants you to ask him. Why? Well, one, it, it, it's a good reminder of, hey, I, I need some help sometimes. I think there is this tendency for us, especially as Westerners, to be self-reliant and self-sufficient. And so because of that, right, we don't like to ask for help. We don't want to ask anybody for help. I mean, even, I mean, I think about even like, um, like the most mundane things, like my neighbor yesterday wanted my help for three minutes to take something down off of his uh, garage. And I could tell it was eating him inside to ask me for help. <laughs> After I got done helping, I was like, Dude, it's not a big deal. That literally took me three minutes. It made your life easier. Not a problem at all. 
But we feel indebted to people when we do that kind of thing. And so we tend to not want to go and ask for help. And here we have Jesus saying, ask God for help. Make your request known to him, even though he knows them ahead of time, because dad wants to hear from you. The same way I told Josiah, why do you just come ask me? I want to help. No matter what's wrong in your life, I want to be there for you. Any good dad or mom in this room feels the same way about their kids. Right? They know what their kids need, but they want their kids to come and ask them. And so in seeing what Jesus is saying here, right? you may be asking yourself, or maybe you're thinking like, okay, well, how, how is my prayer life? What is prayer like for me? Oh, it's not where I want it to be. That's the answer I get from 99% of people when I talk about prayer. Oh, I pray, but it's not where I want it to be. Well, the first thing that Jesus invites us to do is to check our posture towards prayer in the first place. Am I going in dependence? Am I going with reverence? Am I going to actually talk with God and to listen? Or am I going just simply to heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do? See, prayer is not meant to be a checklist that God is just there to make sure that you've asked him all these different things and that he can check them off of his task list as he's gone there. No. The reality of prayer is that it helps reveal to us our real need and dependence upon the sovereign creator of the universe and to see him show up in our lives. And Jesus is sharing with us and encouraging us to recognize this dependence and then approach God. And so as he corrects our posture, right, tells us to draw our attention towards God, he's then going to move through six movements of prayer that we should consider when we ourselves are praying. And so let's work through each one of those, starting in verse 9. It says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. All right, so for the note takers, we're going to have things on the board for you. So there's going to be stuff there. So, so, so stick with me. But we're going to move through all six movements here that Jesus shares. And that first one is we've entitled sonship. He says, our father in heaven. And the idea behind Jesus kind of opening up prayer in this way is that we need to be reminded regularly that if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, this is true of you. You are a beloved child of the king of the universe. When God looks at you and sees you, he sees you as his son or daughter. And you are loved by him. This is, this is a way of reminding ourselves, we have a father and that father wants to talk and know us and be in community, and be in a relationship with us. I think we have this tendency to view God because he is holy, and because he is transcendent, and because he is all-knowing, and because he is all-powerful, all the various characteristics that we might throw out about our God, to think that he's so far separated from us that there's no chance 
that we could ever be in his presence. And Jesus immediately kind of throws that out the window here and says, no. And the correct posture in prayer reminds us that God wants us to come into his presence because he is a good and loving dad who wants to know you. And so I think, you know, even by, by, by taking in this idea of like, hey, in our prayers, we should be recognizing and addressing God as dad or as father or however you might want to address him in that language. There's immediately some things in our, in our posture and our thoughts towards God that get corrected. One of the things that I, that I think that, at least for me personally, and I'm not going to make you guys raise your hands to say like, yeah, I'm just like Pastor Kevin. But one of the things that immediately kind of pops into my mind is when I'm praying at least in a group of people, there's this weird thing in the back of my mind where I'm tempted to, with my words, try to impress God or impress other people. Anybody else feel that way? That, when, that you're so concerned with what you might be saying that others might judge you or think that you don't know what you're saying or even when I'm praying alone by myself, like I don't even know how to talk to God. I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know what I'm doing. And Jesus immediately by saying, hey, our Father in heaven, he's saying to us, you, you're not here to impress God. Believe it or not, I think if we know this and if we think through it logically, God's not really that impressed with us anyway. But, but, if, but if we just pause and think about it for a second, right, Jesus is saying, hey, calm down. Prayer is not a performance. It's an opportunity for us to talk to Dad. And if we're going to talk to Dad, he just wants us to be in community with him. We don't need to try to oppress, impress him as we approach him. And guys, if we grabbed a hold of this, this would be life-changing. If we stopped trying to impress others and impress God all the time, we would be able to live freely and openly as sons and daughters of the King. And so what are, what are some examples then of, of what it might look like to pray through sonship or, or pray as beloved children of God? Here's a few examples for you. It can be as simple as thanking God for adoption or approval or being a part of the family of God. Maybe it's asking God to save others so that they might know him as father. Or maybe you could ask God to increase your faith as a son. Like, God, I know that you say in your word that, that I'm adopted, that I'm your child, that, that I'm yours. I'm not really feeling that right now. Will you increase that in me? Will you, will you show up? Will you allow me to experience your presence and your goodness as a father so that I might grow? And as we do this, I promise you, but the more you kind of live this out, and the more you see God's faithfulness as, as we walk through this, this idea of being beloved and being God's children, that we'll see God's faithfulness. And in that, you'll grow to want to pray more because you got to talk to Dad. And so this first movement is sonship, our Father in heaven. Our se the second part of the movement that Jesus teaches us, hallowed be your name. So the first, first movement is adoption or sonship. The second one, worship. That word hallowed means kept holy or matchless or nothing like this can be described. And, and, and he said, if you look there, well, what is hallowed? The name of God. That the name of God, Jehovah, Jehovah, Yahweh, 
right? Adonai, all the various words that you could use for God in the Old Testament, but obviously he calls himself Yahweh, which translated literally just means I am, the existing one. I, I am who I am, right? What Jesus is saying here is the very name of God himself is so powerful, so outstanding that we're to worship it. And if you know anything about Jewish life, names meant something to the Hebrews. You know, today it's kind of like, well, I picked that name because it was my dad's name or, or because it was my grandfather's name or I had a friend and I wanted to name him after my friend or whatever else. And sometimes we, we pick names for, for specific meanings, but we tend to maybe just pick names for, for reasons. But in, in the Old Testament in particular, when you read throughout uh, the Old Testament narratives, you see that people are given names that correspond to who they are. They describe their character, their nature, things about them. You know, for example, right, Abraham was originally Abram. And after God's covenant promise with him, he became the father of many and God changed his name to Abraham. Right, when you think about Jacob, right, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Why? Because he wrestled with God before he returned to Esau and returned to his brother. And so he got the name fighter of God. That's what Israel means, right? And, and, and what we're seeing Jesus say here is God, your name is unmatched. There is no name like your name in the world. There is none like you and we want to worship you because of that. And when I think about this particular movement, this is maybe the, the part where I get convicted the most because Jesus is commanding us here that prayer should include worship of our God. That it should include making much of Jesus. It should not simply be peppered with requests as if God is some genie in a bottle waiting to do our bidding. But that we go to him as father and we go to him to worship him because he is worthy. And so what are some examples of what this could look like? You can praise God and worship him for any reason that you can think of. His character, saving you. His power, works that he's done, works that he's promised to do in the future, any of those things. But just thank God for him and praise him for who he is. You can also ask God to save more people so that there would be an increased worship of his name. That in any of these movements, it doesn't have to just be one specific word or whatever else, but it's just something that's tied to this idea of worship. It's just something tied to the idea of being a son or daughter of God. That's the idea we're going at as we work through these movements. And so we have sonship, we have worship, then the third movement, lordship. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so there's two parts to this idea of, of asking God's lordship to be realized. The first one is this. When we pray, we should ask Jesus to come back sooner rather than later. That, that we should want Jesus to be here and set things right. right. This is asking God to come and establish his kingdom here on earth, asking God to free us from sin, sickness, death, decay, Satan, shame, pain, all the things we don't like, God will set those things right when Jesus returns finally once and for all. But the second portion of this, asking his kingdom to come, his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, 
is asking God to expand his kingdom now on earth through his church. Because the agent of change for the world is the proclamation of the gospel through the body of Christ and using the body of Christ to declare and herald the good news of what Christ has done and what he's going to do in his return. And so this is asking God to use us, his people, as a means of establishing peace, justice, mercy, service, hope throughout the whole world. Right? My university used to have this like famous line where they would say, be the change you want to see in the world. Man, the church should be the number one herald of that. Be, be what you want to see, but not just change for change's sake. Change to come in line with God and his word and his kingdom. And if we got a hold of this and we asked God to change us, we would see radical movements for the gospel. Radical movements that made much of Jesus. And so how might we pray through this? What are some examples? We can ask God to establish justice, both in our churches and in the hearts of people that love God, but also in the governments that, that lead around the world, that they might seek and honor the heart of the Lord. It is okay to ask God to set up just and righteous rulers. God, God actually likes that. It's okay for us to pray for that. We can ask God for an increase of compassion in our own hearts for people and a, dim, a, di, a decrease in violence and oppression. This can look like seeking God's fame above all else and asking him to help us proclaim his majesty and his lordship to the world around us. And so we have sonship, we have worship, we have lordship, movement four, provision. It says, give us this day our daily bread. So here's what Jesus is saying. Go to God to provide for your needs. And I'm going to emphasize that word there, needs. Because there's something that gets peddled around by a lot of churches. And by God's grace, I hope that we're never one of them but something that I would call the prosperity gospel, right? Where we teach people that if all they have to do is pray and have enough faith and God will give them whatever they want. That hey, if you just pray hard enough and if you have enough faith, God will bring you that new car you want or God will bring you that bigger house. Or I even remember one time, I'm not gonna out the church that I witnessed, but the, the pastor had got up and said, hey, um, I've got this huge collection of shoes and my closet can't hold it, hold them all. And so I'm going to name it and claim it until God gives me a bigger house with a bigger closet so I can put all those shoes in them. That, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. And this isn't me saying if you have a nice big closet that I think you're evil. But it is saying that, that what Jesus wants us to realize is again, this posture of dependency upon God for our various needs and recognizing that he has provided it even when we don't realize it. 
You know, one of the things we see about Jesus himself is he, he claims that he provides for both our physical and our spiritual needs. If you look at John chapter 6, this is what he says to his disciples, starting in verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This means that to go to God, to go to Jesus, is to go to the one who provides for all of your needs, both physical and spiritual. So what does it mean to pray through this then? What does it mean to pray for God's provision? Well, it might be simply asking God to forgive us for gluttony. It tends to not be a sin we talk about a whole lot here in the U.S., but it's real. Right? Overindulging, and I don't just mean food. We can overindulge in a lot of things. God, forgive me and allow me to only pursue those things when needed and as needed. Maybe it can be as simple as asking God to help you do something that he's set or asked you or called you to accomplish. It would help me to fulfill the mission you've given me. Or maybe this, Lord, will you help me to steward the resources that you have given me, my time, my talent, and my treasure. Steward that to the glory of God. So we have sonship, we have worship, we have lordship, we have provision. Movement five, reconciliation. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Right? God wants us to pray through forgiveness and reconciliation. He actually wants us to do that. And, and, and there's two parts to this, right? There is reconciliation with God, which means we confess and repent of sin before him. And repentance also means then taking hold of by faith the promises of God that we are forgiven in Christ, right? That repentance is confessing that we are wrong and that God is right. And the promise of God to us is that God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so to reconcile with God and to observe this, this movement in prayer is to confess our sin before him, but also to believe and receive and take hold of the promises of God and the forgiveness that he has given us in Jesus. And that with that, we don't just reconcile with God, but, but Jesus makes it abundantly clear that he wants us to also reconcile with those around us. Now, that, that is to the best of our ability, but on our own end, to seek harmony and unity and reconciliation with those around us. Jesus actually says this in Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 25. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven might forgive you and your trespasses. Right, Jesus is saying to us that we not only should ask God for forgiveness, but we seek unity and restoration with one another by extending forgiveness to one another as well. So some examples of praying through reconciliation. Confessing and repenting of particular sins. Here's a big one for me. Asking God to forgive me for my unbelief. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You help me to reconcile that. Well, here's a big one. Asking God to remove bitterness and broken relationships and to bring reconciliation. I would venture to guess that there's not a single one of us in this room that we couldn't use some of that. 
And here's God's promise to us that he is faithful to forgive and walk us through that. All right. Movement six. Title this one, Deliverance. It says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So this is one of those times in Scripture where we need to be careful about how we interpret what's going on here, or otherwise we will misinterpret Jesus' words and we will ascribe to him something that is untrue about who he is and his character. right? And so if Jesus is teaching us to pray to God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, Right. If we use, I believe it's the transitive property, Jackie. Right. If if this is true, then this is true. Right. If then statements. Right. That's what I remember from my basic geometry class in high school. That if right we pray to God not to lead us into temptation, then it must be true that God does lead some into temptation and evil. And Scripture does not teach that. Right. So we need to try to break down and understand what Jesus is actually saying here, because what Scripture teaches us is that God will test us at times, but he does not tempt us. And if you're like, well, Kevin, I don't know if I trust you or not. I don't know if you're telling the truth. Turn over to James chapter one. This is Jesus's little brother writing a letter to the churches. And look at what he says, starting in verse 13. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts who? No one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by whose desires? His own. Okay. So, we know that you know any temptation that might come for us to sin or whatever it may be is going to be not of God, but is going to be of us and our own evil desires and our own heart towards what we want and, and not what God wants. And so what we need to understand then in light of what Jesus is saying back in Matthew chapter 6 is this, that God does test us, but he does not tempt us. And what Jesus is telling us to do here is twofold. One, he's asking us to, asking us to go to God and ask him to limit the testing we might experience, but then also to ask God to deliver us from our own temptations. Like, basically, God, I don't trust myself. Save me from me. That is is what Jesus is asking us to pray here. He's saying, look, do not, under any circumstances, trust yourself. (laughs) And and when moments of temptations and trials and testing come, go to God and ask him to free you from yourself. Do not trust yourself. So make some examples of how we might pray through this then if we're praying on our own and we want to pray through this movement. Ask God to bind Satan in his works. Guys, I, one of the things that I think I, I, I'm realizing more and more, and if you've ever read C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, you'll, you'll see some of what I think is going on. But C.S. Lewis uh, makes kind of this hypothesis or this thesis in, in the Screwtape Letters that Satan and his demons kind of have two ways of operating. The first one is to appear all-powerful and to paralyze people into fear and doubt and to distrust God. The other way is to make people believe in naturalism and that there's no such thing as Satan or demons or evil and that they're not at work doing anything. One, I'll say this, Scripture teaches that it is very, very true that Satan and demons exist 
and that there is a war going on around us right now, even in this room, that there's a war going on in the spiritual realm between Satan and his demons and God and his angels. Now you might say, what does that exactly does that look like? I don't know. Right? Uh, I, I, I haven't gotten into how that might physically look. I haven't gotten into visions of what that's going on, but I do know that it's true because Scripture teaches that we are rule, we are at war with principalities and powers and strongholds that are ruled by the prince of the power of the air, which is another word for Satan. And so to go to God and ask him to bind up Satan in his works is to ask for him to deliver us from the works of the evil one. Now, not only do we pray and we ask God for that, but we can also pray and ask God to change our own desires. Hey, if you're tempted by your evil and wicked desires, ask God to change them. That's been one of the most fascinating things for me. I've been a follower of Jesus now for over 15 years. And one of the things that I did not know what I was getting myself into when I started walking with Jesus is that he was going to change my desires. That he was going to change the things I loved and cared about. And he was going to move me from loving self and the things I wanted and a self-centered, self-motivated world to a world motivated around loving God and wanting to serve him. And it's simultaneously been one of the most liberating and most exhausting things that I've ever experienced. And yet God has been faithful through it all. And there are other people in this room who have that same testimony as they've seen God's faithfulness in time and time again. And as we pray to God for deliverance, we ask him to change our desires towards him and what he loves. And lastly, we can ask God to put to death in us that which is opposed to Jesus, his church, and the mission of the gospel. And so as we think through these six movements that that Jesus kind of unveils for us as his church, here's the beautiful thing, maybe the overarching theme that we should take out of here this morning. As Jesus gives these six movements to his disciples and he corrects their posture and he's talking to them about prayer, here's here's the most exciting thing. We can talk to God. You know, when you think about Jesus' disciples, as they're hearing this talk from Jesus, these were people that had to go through the Levitical priesthood to have access to God. That there was no access to the Holy of Holies. Because God was so holy and because of the sin of the people, they could not enter into the presence of God. And here's what Jesus is saying. Yeah, that access has been opened up now. We can talk to God. Where there was not a way before, there is a way. Because before, all that was in between us and God was enmity. Our sin and rebellion before a holy and perfect God had left us without any options. And Jesus, preaching now to his disciples, knew that in a few short years, he would give his life on Calvary be crucified, buried, and raised again so that enmity might be destroyed once and for all and that a restoration and reconciliation between God as creator and us as his creation would be restored once and for all. And where we were once a people that were lost and fatherless, we have now been given a father who loves us, who cares for us, and who wants to talk with us. We can pray. 
I think one of the things that I, I think about regularly is I, I think in terms of like reading my Bible or other spiritual disciplines is I should do those things. No, we get to do those things. Because of Jesus, we are free to do those things. Not, hey, I should be praying. Well, maybe, but you get to pray. You can talk to the God of the universe. When I think about this in light of like people I've lost in my life, I would love to talk to my grandfathers one more time. And I will one day in eternity. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but it's going to happen. But you can talk to God anytime, anywhere, any place because of Jesus and what he's done. I've heard it access to God explained this way before. Religion teaches us to think like this. I messed up. Dad's going to kill me. Freedom in Christ and the gospel is this. I messed up. I need to go call my dad. He's ready to talk to me. Let's go talk to dad. dad dad's going to fix this. Dad's going to fix this mess. God is inviting us. Let's call dad. Let's talk to him. Dad is there and he wants to talk to us. 